This is episode 173 of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, and today's guest is Amanda Weisberg. She graduated with her bachelor's and master's from California State University, Northridge in Los Angeles. She's worked for the last three and a half years across the continuum from a skilled nursing facility, subacute facility, outpatient, acute rehab, and inpatient and critical care settings. She most recently works per diem at an acute care hospital in Los Angeles. Amanda volunteers on the Dysphagia Outreach Project, Public Relations, Social Media Team, and is an affiliate member of the Medical SLP Collective. Additionally, she created the Instagram platform Millennial Med SLP to help spread evidence-based practice, education, and to continue her own growth. Welcome to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders, a mobile fees business owner, and founder of the MedSLP Collective. This podcast is all about delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere. Whether you're a new clinician seeking tangible tools for treatment or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, my goal is to help ditch the old-school ways of the past that no longer serve you or your patients, to reinvigorate your passion for our field, to broaden your knowledge about our scope of practice, and to inspire you to practice at the top of your license. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride, be open and willing to learn, because let's face it, your patients deserve that kind of care. With that, let's dive right in. Just a quick disclaimer that all statements and opinions expressed in this episode do not reflect on the organizations associated with the speakers and are their own opinions solely. Good morning, Amanda. Good morning. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited for this. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy you're here. I love people that are excited to come on. So thank you. All right, tell the people a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so my name is Amanda Weisberg. I live and work in Los Angeles and the real Los Angeles proper. Um, I work at Care PRN right now because I like to say I'm also a part-time, full-time mom to my little one. I've worked in acute care for most of my career, but I've also been exposed to SNF in my CF, worked subacute units um, and acute rehab. So I've been lucky enough to kind of practice the whole gamut of the medical SLP world in some regards. So I'm very excited to be here and hopefully share some knowledge that I've learned this year. Beautiful. And how do people usually know you? Uh, My Instagram, the Millennial Med SLP. So feel free to check it out. I am famous for my little TikToks, but I like to think I provide education with a little twist of some humor and laughter, So, which we all need, especially from 2020 and now 2021. So here I am. Yes. Awesome. Yes. I think you do. You do a beautiful, wonderful job of combining lighthearted humor with actual education, which I think is just a way that people are just loving to learn these days. So thank you. Thank you for putting yourself out there because I know it's not easy and people really appreciate it. Yeah. All right. So what are we going to talk about today? So today I really wanted to talk about crushing meds. It's never been on my radar for the last four years. And then this year I came across, I think I was on Facebook and some graduate student was like, Hey, can you fill out this survey? And it was all about medication delivery. And I, it gave me this aha light bulb moment. Oh my gosh. I, all of us are constantly recommending for medication to be delivered, but do we really know what goes behind that and behind those recommendations? Yes. Beautiful. All right. So where should we start? So I think we should start at 
why crushing meds can be an issue, right? So um, with these drug prescriptions that we give to patients, it's actually not optimal for these dysphagic patients because normally they have all these other medical comorbidities because it can have major iatrogenic effects. So, you know, side effects from it being altered. And what really pointed out to me was there was this one study and half, so they gave 110 medications that were crushed, right? And from those 110, they figured out from being crushed that there was a potential threat in about 12% of them. And it reduced the efficacy of medication 8% of all those 110 medications. And it really brought to light almost every single patient I see I say, crush meds, crush meds, cut meds in half. You know, rarely do I have an instrumental backing that up. Rarely do I even ask the patient what they want. And I just have no proof. And I I was just so shocked at myself that here I am walking around and doing that all. And it interested me so much. And so then I brought it to my Instagram platform and I had this poll and I had a couple questions and I said, you know, do you recommend crushed meds? And 85% of them said yes, 15% no. Then I said, do you consult the pharmacy if so? 43% said yes, 57% said no, right? Then I said, last question, do you take into mind this efficacy of medication when you recommend this mode of delivery, whether it's whole or crushed or cut? 68% said yes, which I'm a little skeptical about. (laughs) Liars. Right? But 32% (laughs) said no. So I'm just going to take that for what it is. But still, I mean, like, like, let's just say it's 32%. Like that is mind-blowing that here we are making these recommendations and we don't think about the side effects and the responses i got were also a little startling you know saying things like i don't want to bother the pharmacist i don't think it's our place you know i didn't take pharmaceutical classes you know how am i supposed to give a recommendation Right. So why are we recommending for meds to be crushed? Right. So it just really lit a fire under my booty. And now it's kind of been my mission. Like every shift I'm like on the phone with pharmacy being like, okay, am I doing the right thing? Yeah. Well, and I mean, this is so important too, because then, you know, once you do talk to pharmacy and once you do realize the meds, there's things that are specifically time released, you know, they're created to be time released. And here we are just chopping them up and giving to them, giving them to them all at once, you know? So I think there's, there's so many factors to consider here of whether patients should a be getting crushed meds, b what are we doing to those meds? And then, you know, c there are also those patients that we really truly need to see under instrumentation because some of them are just aspirating the whole pill, which, you know, they may be a good candidate for crushed meds, but are the meds that they're getting crushed able to be crushed. You know, it's such a, it is such a multi-layer thought process that so many SLPs are trained to just, you know, quick fire, say crush meds. 
Right. And I just think back to the recommendations I made and the recommendations that, you know, I was told as a student or CF to do, and they made sense. Like, for instance, for my dementia patients, I would say, okay, crush the meds and then put them in ice cream because they're sweet and it's cold and they love it. And they, you know, take it down like a spoonful of sugar, literally. And here we go. But that kind of leads me into you know, well, why are we not crushing meds or why are we not mixing them, right? So there's this term called bioavailability. So that means the proportion of a drug or other substance that enters your circulation into your body, right? And when it's introduced into the body, it needs to work at its highest, you know, most active, effective manner. And when we're crushing them and mixing them, we are affecting that. Let's just take my ice cream example, dairy. In complex antibiotics, if we were to do that and mix it with a dairy substance like ice cream, it may prevent the absorption and reduce bioavailability, which just blows my mind how many times I said that and now I'm cringing, but it's okay. <laughs> we're here to learn. Yes, we are. Yes, yes. You know, and that brings me to my next one. You know, we also are thickening liquids. And I will have SLPs constantly messaging me now that I've brought up this medication discussion. Well, you know, I think it really goes down really well with these nectar or mildly thick liquids. And what we don't realize is the cornstarch-based thickeners and gum-based thickeners are polymers. And they chemically and physically bind with the crushed medication, which causes a significant reduction in the dissolution rates or, you know, how the medication is absorbed. And so that means that you're prohibiting this medication to be fully available to your body. Or even let's just take the main medication, oh my gosh, at least in acute care, potassium, okay? Those huge tablets. The huge pills, yep. <laughs> yeah, and we're like, crush them. Like, no, like we can't. Like that is, you know, we should not be doing that. And I, and I even see nurses all the time doing it. And I just had this. And so I called pharmacy, you know, oh, very scary. Okay, but I did it. <laughs> and they told me, hey, there's this version of the potassium called Chlorcon. <laughs> it can be cut in half. But this K-tab or, you know, potassium tablet, for instance, does say do not crush. But they also told me, I said, okay, well, what if they can't have the half tablet, you know, really trying to poke the bear here. And then they said, well, there's this KCI powder packet, which you can mix in something like applesauce. Perfect. Bingo. You know, exactly. And if I had never asked, I would have never known. And here I would have been in my documentation writing crushed almonds with applesauce. Like, yeah, yeah. no, yeah. but now, you know, to know how much thickeners play a role, dairy plays a role, mixing with foods or even mixing with applesauce. Applesauce isn't always safe either. And so I think it's really important to understand that bioavailability of these medications. Yeah. I think, I mean, you brought up such a great point. And I think, I think back to like, I don't know, like 10 years ago when we were like afraid to bug respiratory therapy about these things, you know, we're like, should we bug them about this trach? Like, should we, should we see if maybe we could wean this patient? Like, and now I see, you know, we have such a beautiful partnership with RTs and I, I'm hopeful that maybe we could have some sort of collaboration like that with 
pharmacists too, because I think this is such a huge part of what we do, you know, quote unquote, is it within our scope? However, it is within our scope because we are recommending the best way for patients to eat and drink safely. However, no, it's not within our scope to be saying how medications, you know, for us to be altering medications. So I think there's there, we really do need to be relying on our pharmacy um, colleagues a lot more than we are. So I'm so glad you're talking about this. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And like I said, I got pushback from all these SLPs saying, you know, yeah, this is not within our scope and yeah. we don't do pharmaceuticals. Right, right. And But for me, it takes one simple thing of in my documentation, you know, we have a section medication delivery, what are our recommendations? And lately, I've just been saying patient preference and consult with pharmacy, you know, within the guidelines of the diet recommendations too. Um, But like we love on all of our soapboxes, we're not diet police. So neither should we be medication police. And it's not bothering pharmacy any more than like you said, us thinking that we were like bothering RTs or bothering dietitians. We're not. And they much rather have us ask then them have to fix our problems after us, you know? Right. Yeah. Even last week I worked and there was a nurse and there was one of these, you know, slow release medications. And she said, um, you know, I family even told me this patient needs crushed meds. Okay. So the patient needs crushed meds. She's like, "I, I just don't know what to do. So I said, well, would you like me to call pharmacy? And the relief that spread over her (laughs) was just so gratifying. And there I was, picked up the phone. It took two minutes out of my day. And yes, luckily enough, I have the two minutes to spare, but it saved so many steps for not only myself and my recommendations, but also for my colleagues, my nurses. And, you know, they're working around the clock right now in these COVID times. And so all we can do to help each other, I think, is most important. And you're right. It, it is within our scope because just like a video swallow study, if someone had a bowel perforation, are we going to go give them barium? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, if they had necrotic tissue in their mouth, are we going to do green dye and give them something to eat? Probably not. Like we need to think about the things that we're providing and giving, recommending, and the whole medical picture as we're taught, you know, as complex problem solver thinkers, pathologists that we're supposed to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, I think that's the perfect example. Like, they, you know, they don't want to fix our mistakes, but I think of, you know, how mad do we get when we're like, that nurse put my patient on thickened liquids. You know, they thought they were doing what they knew was best. And then we get so angry. So imagine what we're doing to these pharmacists as well. You know, we're going and crushing their time release medications and they're like, I wish they would have come talk to us, you know? So I think, yeah. And the, I think in these situations we have to put ourselves in their shoes and really do extend the olive branch and figure out what is going to be best for the patient. Yeah. And I think, you know, it is also our role to do the continued education and awareness we need. So yes, we don't provide recommendations, but also at the same time, I want to be well-versed in what I'm recommending too. So if that same nurse had said, oh, it's slow release, but there's no other alternative. 
I would have said, well, actually, you know, sometimes they can do an immediate release and just give it more often. Or, you know, sometimes they can do IV or, you know, whatever that looks like. So I think it's important to know our options. But like we said, we're not telling them to do those options. We just need to be educated on it. It's the same thing, you know, if we do fees and look at any sort of vocal or pharyngeal pathology, we are not diagnosing, we are describing. So the same thing with these pharmaceuticals, like we can describe other options and then recommend them to consult with pharmacy. And I think we will be better perceived the more well-versed we are about this topic too. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. Are you trying to convince your administration to invest in fees or video strobe equipment? Or are you thinking about going out on your own to start your own private practice? Being able to calculate return on investment, doing a cost comparison, and presenting your findings in a professional way will be very important and is not everyone's strong suit. PatCon Medical is offering a webinar series specifically for SLPs to learn how to do all that. You will learn step-by-step and you will get all the tools needed. The best thing, it's completely free. Visit patcommedical.com forward slash webinar to sign up. It's also important is testing it in instrumental, right? You are one of our instrumental queens, so I'm preaching to the choir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think that one of the things we're lacking in our video swallow studies is testing medication delivery. And a lot of the times I'll see esophagrams, you know, giving barium tablets. But how often do we have someone walking in saying that they get pills stuck and I'll look at the report and they didn't give any barium tablet or capsule or anything. And, and, you know, I, I completely understand the idea of us using our critical thinking and making general educated generalizations from what we see of their swallowing function but at the same time if you have it use it so if you don't have those resources available to you you know ask your radiology team hey do we have these barium capsules or tablets that we can use or if you're doing fees maybe it's even just an m&m or if they don't have any medication or a vitamin you know just because it's not their medication delivery time doesn't mean that we can't test it in other ways that can be very similar um, or testing a variety of medications, you know, something that is the size of an aspirin or like I said, an M&M or something that is very large like these potassium tablets and anything else, you know, that's kind of like that chalkiness that gets stuck in all of our throats with a quote unquote normal swallow. So I think just with anything, whether it's thickened liquids or solids, everyone stop recommending puree. We need to test it in instrumentals too. And I think it's definitely something that we're missing. But I mean, in your fees practice, do you see people testing for medication or do you think it's something that's not widely done yet? Um, so I'd say both. Um, I'd say some people do and some people don't. And I think kind of where I got to was really just asking the patient in the first place, what do you, how do you handle meds? You know, and some patients will say, I honestly don't know. Sometimes I cough, choke them up. Sometimes some patients will say, I don't think I have trouble. Some patients will say, I do have trouble, but don't you dare crush my meds. So I think I, I really tailor it based on 
how the patient's thinking to begin with, because if they tell me, you know, please don't you dare crush my meds, what am I going to do? You know, it's not going to change the recommendations at all because they don't want us to crush the meds. So I really, yeah, I, I really just go based on the patient. And then of course, if, if it's something I, I did have one patient one time that the doctor was really concerned and I wish I, I wish I had more of a relationship with the doctor because I would love to know his rationale of how he derived his hypothesis. The patient with Parkinson's, the doctor just thought for sure there was, or just was concerned that maybe the patient was aspirating the medication. So we actually, the doctor came in while I did the fees, administered the medication, and lo and behold, he was aspirating it. So the patient wasn't, was definitely not, you know, taking his medication like he should have. So it was actually a good example that you gave where the doctor did call pharmacy and said, you know, is there a different way that we can present this medication because obviously he needs it. So Right. And I asked my friend who's a pharmacist for one of the acute care hospitals here in LA. And I said, have you ever experienced a time where someone has asked you for an alternate medication and you haven't been able to do that? And she said, no. She's like, I really think that would be such a low probability. Um, So I think that also gives us more empowerment to ask because between the whole team, you know, we can figure something out. But yeah, and doing these patient surveys, like you're saying, and really taking into account their opinions. But then, you know, sometimes also there's that barrier of they can't communicate or they don't know or they don't have self-awareness or in acute care where they're barely alert. I don't know. But I think also I might just start adding it into my standardization of my video swallows. I am not lucky enough to do fees yet, but so I'll add that into it when I do fees someday. Because what I also find is I'll complete my video swallow. Let's say I have someone with minced and moist, okay? Like I, you know, I'm not going to put them on puree, but I just don't think they're quite ready for, you know, that soft and bite-sized diet or chopped yet. And then I get stuck at the medication recommendation. And yes, you can say, why are we giving recommendations? But okay, facility dependent. Sometimes nurses really want to know what we think. And I value that. I can give an opinion. But it gets me stuck because then I say, I don't know if they can handle the whole capsule or tablet. But I also don't know if they need it crushed. And then I go, oh, shoot. Like I, I, now I've kind of made myself stuck where I don't know because I didn't test it. And that would have taken about mm, 10 seconds in fluoro and it would not have been a big deal. So now I'm just kind of thinking, should it just be, you know, standard practice for us all to do it? Yep. Yep. I love it. Yeah. So I think talking about, okay, so now what is our role of what we do recommend? Okay. So yes, we're not pharmacists, but what can we, you know, say recommend? So I think one, we need to educate ourselves. Um, I think we need to be reading up on, you know, these journal articles and research and um, pharmacy guidelines and everything like that with, you know, the impact of dysphagia and medication delivery, one, so that we can then speak to our contemporaries about our recommendations. Just like how we come back to this RT analogy, you know, we don't say the patient needs a speaking valve, the end, we say the patient needs a speaking valve because 
it has shown to, you know, reduce vent time or it has shown to increase sensation or, you know, we give backed up information. So the same thing we can do with these pharmaceuticals is we can say, hey, I think and highly recommend we need to consult pharmacy in this case and see about medications now that this patient has a known dysphagia under instrumentals. You know, so what we can do from here is I see this patient is on this, you know, IR or ER medication, meaning extended release or immediate release, okay? So let's just say they're on an ER extended release medication. I see that they're on this. Did you know that there's often a substitute of a IR or immediate release medication and pharmacy can often just give it more frequently? And I've had some nurses tell me, oh, well, you know, it won't it be harder to give a medication more? Let's just take our dementia patient, for instance. Well, no, aren't we already giving them several small snacks a day to facilitate their nutrition hydration, as opposed to, you know, these three big mega meals? We all kind of know that's a nice little trick under our, in our hat, I guess. And so giving medications more frequently can match with those meal times and, you know, and be kind of undercover in that way. So that's a good option to have. Also, several of these medications can be compounded to a powder form or a liquid form. So you can always ask about something like that. And then also last resort, or I guess not last resort, but if they have IV delivery, then hey, could this medication be delivered IV, you know, especially for our NPO patients, or maybe they have an instrumental pending and we just don't feel good about the risks of them aspirating medication. So I think that's other great options to know and be aware of. But at the same time, I don't think we should be giving those recommendations in our documentation or saying them, you know, flat out, this is what needs to happen. It needs to be consulted with pharmacy. But I also think that being well-versed and knowing those options strengthens our profession and strengthens our intern multidisciplinary interactions with nurses and these pharmacists and doctors. Beautiful. I love it. So I think it also comes down to, to like, okay, well, Amanda, like you're telling me all this information, but where did you start? Okay. Like, where did you get this information? Because myself, like I said, when I came across this survey that this student put out, I was thinking to myself, oh my gosh, like, where do I even start? And, you know, where do I begin? And luckily there was this company, Phasix, that had um, collaborated with me and gave me some samples of their of their product and what it is it's it's a special sort of liquid that's a thickened consistency and you can use it for medication delivery and it's supposed to kind of ease the swallow right it's not going to fix someone's dysphagia and it doesn't stop aspiration but it's nice for those patients that are on these thickened liquids or do have a dysphagia or maybe they don't have a dysphagia and they just have trouble with swallowing the pill so once I explored their webpage, that brought me to further education of resources I could use. One of those being the Pill 5. The Pill 5 is a questionnaire of five questions to give your patients to kind of help them describe and quantify their severity of difficulty swallowing pills from always to never. So I like these scales. They give me clear information. So I was all for it. The questions include 
does the pill get stuck in my throat? Does the pill get stuck in my chest? I have a fear of swallowing. Swallowing impacts my ability to take medication, and I can't take my pills without crushing, coating, or assistance. And those five questions to me really stood out because, yes, I ask my patient, hey, do you prefer your meds crushed or whole or cut? But rarely do I actually ask them, what do they do at home? How do they cut it? How does it impact, you know, their psyche and their ability to take medication? I don't. And so I really feel like these five questions, you know, hone in onto that and give me further information for what I need to do in maybe an instrumental of my recommendations. There's also a fabulous do not crush list. I have provided the information to put it on the reference list, so it'll be there. That is really nice. I can refer to in a GIF um, because it's electronic as opposed to running around with a paper copy of it. So I highly recommend having that in your little electronic SLP clipboard. And then also there's the food and drug interaction medical journal. Um, It's from 2011, also in the resources that I provided. And um, then it, It goes over very nicely of these foods interact with these types of medications, just like how I said with dairy and stronger antibiotics or, you know, the polymers and thickened liquids and medication efficacy or even to applesauce. Um, You know, this medication should not be mixed with anything. So I think being well educated on that really helps. And also, lastly, one of our SLP leaders in the field, I feel like Karen Scheffler has a blog on this. It's trouble swallowing pills and what to do for pill dysphagia. And I have now read that blog about 20 times. (laughs) She really summarizes everything that we talked about today very nicely and then with resources. And I know she's helped create blogs and research and everything for phasics. So that really helped kind of guide my knowledge and guide my education on this topic um, to have those resources available to me. And also, lastly, I think, too, just asking your pharmacist at your facility, you know, even at a skilled nursing facility, reach out, call your pharmacy team wherever they're located or even if they're on staff. Ask your nurses, ask any friends, you know, from back home like I did. Um, I reached out to my friend. I said, hey, you went to pharmacy school, right? (laughs) And just also educating peer-to-peer. So I think that is also very undervalued, but it's also where I've learned a lot of my information is just asking questions to my coworkers and people around me. Beautiful. I love this, Amanda. Yay. This This is just, this is great. This is so helpful. I've become very passionate about it. I don't know Yeah, why. I like, love it. I know, but it's great. It's great. I, I, I know. It's funny the things we just decide that we're going to kind of make our mission. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I don't yeah. want to do a PhD, but like this could be an interesting one. <laughs> but very much so. Very much so. Very, very much so. All right. Do you have any final thoughts? I think this was this was amazing. My final thoughts are just to keep collaborating with these professions, right? Pharmacists, dietitians, our doctors, our nurses, and everyone in between. You know, as a team, we can work a lot better than us trying to work by ourselves and with just the sole fear of asking someone or thinking it's outside our scope. I am going to help my other medical professionals as much as I can. And for this, it is not outside our scope. 
And we need to be very conscious of the recommendations that we're giving because they can actually cause more harm than good. And obviously we are all in this field to cause good and provide help for patients and not make situations worse. So I think we can all work together. And if you take something away from this, just don't be scared to collaborate and ask questions. Yeah. Beautiful. I love it. Thank you so much, my friend. To download the show notes from this episode, please visit swallowyourpridepodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email so that you'll never miss another episode. If you like what you hear, then please subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, and share it on social media with your friends and colleagues, because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at TeresaRichard.com. Special credit to Danny V. Socrates for her amazing audio and editing skills and to Marissa Hendrickson for managing all the things behind the scenes. As always, thanks so much for listening and see you next week.